0: When is a murder considered, solved? And when is a killer really found? What if the story is a bit more complicated than a simple it? Like in the case of 28-year-old Anni Hinocha Dewani. Anni was a girl like me. She was extremely close with her family and she was very driven to move her career forward. But on her way to success, she met her husband, Shrian with whom she was in South Africa for her honeymoon when their taxi got hijacked and she was found dead in a Cape Town township. Annie was a 28-year-old engineer working as a product designer in Sweden. She'd grown up there, even though her family was part of the East African Hindu community, which is a community with quite an intriguing history, because the people in this community are of Indian origin, but they have their roots in East Africa. Annie's family has their roots in Uganda, where many Indians lived until 1972, when the then reigning Ugandan president, Idi Amin, ordered the expulsion of all Asians living in Uganda. This Asian minority, of which the majority was Indian or Pakistani, was given just 90 days to leave the country. This expulsion was pushed because the growing endophobia that existed in Uganda. It was seen that people from Indian descent were disloyal and didn't have proper commercial practices. After the expulsion, this community ended up all over the world. But Annie's family ended up in the town Maristad in Sweden. And Annie was a very cheerful, bubbly girl with a huge sense of ambition and a drive to make something of herself. But she was also described as innocent and very good looking, having even pursued a modeling career besides her engineering degree. But the most important thing was not her career or her looks, but it was her family and her two siblings, whom she adored. As well as her Indian heritage. She learned the Gujarati language and she loved Bollywood dancing. When Annie finished her engineering degree, her and her cousin took a trip to the UK, where through mutual friends from the East African Hindu community, Annie met Sriyan Dawani. Like Annie, Sriyan's family had also come from East Africa. His mother came from Uganda and his father settled down in Bristol in the UK after having left Kenya. When he met, Shrihan was working in London as a consultant at a big four company, but that didn't last long because he was avid to return to Bristol to help his father with the family business, which was called PSP Healthcare, a care home chain. Like Annie, Shrihan was driven and he was a very popular student when he was young. And when he met Annie, he was very attracted to her. In the first months of dating, everything seemed rosy. They went on a lot of dates to explore if this was a good match. Shrien was not shy of money, given that he came from a fairly wealthy family. So on their first date, they arranged to go to the Lion King musical with a dinner at the high-end restaurant Asia de Cuba in Covent Garden. And they decided that their relationship was worth it, despite the distance between Sweden and the UK. But as they pursued their long distance romance, their relationship grew to be rocky. They broke up for a period of time and then got back together when Annie moved to the UK to be closer to Shrien. And as a way of showing their commitment to each other, Shrien booked a private plane and asked Annie to marry him in a city of love, Paris. But as they planned their elaborate three-day wedding in Mumbai, they nearly called off the wedding again. They had rows over how Annie spent her money and the way that she dressed. But she was fed up with it all, and she threw her engagement ring at him. You could say that the honeymoon phase had been left far behind. Nevertheless, on the 29th of October of 2010, Annie and Shriyan tied the knot. They had a big, typical Indian wedding at the beautiful hotel at Lake Powai in Mumbai that lasted three days. And if you look up the wedding, it looks absolutely beautiful despite the crocodile-infested waters of Lake Powai. Their bright smiles don't show anything of the turmoil that had taken place in their relationship just before the wedding. But not all of their family and friends were able to join the wedding in Mumbai, so Annie and Shrian had also arranged a civil ceremony that would take place in the UK in 2011, which they were really looking forward to. But first was their honeymoon, which was in South Africa. South Africa is absolutely gorgeous. It is well known for its vineyards as well as for its luxury safari park. But it is important to note for this case that South Africa is also one of the countries with the highest crime rates, particularly murder. There's a lot of gang violence that takes place in the long stretches of townships in the cities and kidnappings are unfortunately not out of the ordinary. In 2017 Cape Town was ranked number 15 on the list of most violent cities in the world. Annie and Shrien arrived in Cape Town on the 7th of October, in the middle of summer in the Southern Hemisphere. They decided that they really wanted to go on a safari whilst they were there. So they wasted no time and took a small airplane to go to Kruger Park, which is one of the best known safari parks in South Africa. And they were sure to see the big five. They stayed in a Kruger Park for 5 days until the 12th of November, when they flew back to Cape Town to enjoy the rest of their honeymoon in a 5-star Cape Grace Hotel. When they arrived at Cape Town International Airport, they got into the taxi of the cab driver called Zola Tongo. Shrian said that they liked Tongo because he was cheap and he felt really secure. So, the next day, they asked Tongo to be their driver to and from their evening dinner at a restaurant called Surfside Restaurant in Strand. The restaurant hovers above the aquamarine waters of the ocean, and it has spectacular views of the water, as well as the mountain ranges in the distance. But to get to Cape Grace Hotel from Surfside Restaurant, they had to cross the townships of Cape Town because Cape Grace Hotel is located all the way in the northern bay of the city, while Surfside Restaurant is at the other side of town. These townships include Kailicha, which is a well-known township because it is one of the largest in South Africa, as well as a township called Guguletu, which is just past Kailitsha. Over 700 people have been murdered in the Guguletu township between 2005 and 2010 which is around 140 people every year. That drive back from Surfside Restaurant to their hotel through the dark national roads would be their last drive together. On that faithful 14th of November, Shrien, Ani and Tongo were driving on the national road through the townships back to the north of Cape Town. They were driving in Tongo's Volkswagen Sharan, and they took the N2 road, which is this one long straight road. And as they passed the Cape Town International Airport on their right, the Guguletu township dawned up on their left. But instead of following the N2 straight ahead, Tongo took a side road into Guguletu. And this to me makes very little sense when I first read it. Because passing through Guguletu doesn't necessarily give you a shortcut to get to the hotel. In fact, it is in the opposite direction from the hotel. According to Shrien's account, Shriyen had been secretly organizing a romantic helicopter ride over Tabletop Mountain for Annie and himself. Because when Shrien and Tongo met, Tongo apparently introduced himself as mastermind of tour guides catered to various VIPs and was exactly up Shrian's lane. So Shrian had apparently asked Tongo to organize a helicopter ride. Shrian might have believed that they were on their way to the helicopter ride that faithful night, which might be why they entered Guguletu, and why Shrian received a text message from Tongo whilst we're at the restaurant, where Tongo told him that everything had been, quote unquote, sorted out. In another account, Shrien claims that he wanted to show Annie the real South Africa and had asked Tongo to get off the road at Gogoletu to see the townships. However, as they entered the township, two men blocked the Volkswagen Sharan in the middle of the road. Annie, Shrien and Zola Tongo were held at gunpoint, told to lie down, hand over their valuables and comply to the orders of the hijackers, who at this point were telling Tongo where to go. They continued their drive through the township until the two hijackers pushed Tongo out on the side of the road. Tongo reported the hijacking to the South African police after he was pushed out, claiming to have been an innocent victim. Having left on their own, Shreen was robbed of his wallet, his phone, his money and his watch. But then he was next to get evicted out of the car in a place called Harare. He was left on the side of the road with no money and no phone and no way to contact the police. But Annie was still on the back of the Sharan and I cannot imagine what kind of fear she must have been in. As the Sharan drove off, Shuyan was able to stop a bystander to tell him to call the police. But at that point, the car was long gone. Several hours later at 7.50 a.m., The Volkswagen Charan was found with inside a horrific scene. Annie was found dead in the back of the Charan with one single gunshot in her neck. Her blood covered the chair and dripped down on the flooring of the car. She was fully dressed in her black dress and heels, with her scarf that she wore for the evening cold tucked behind her body. There were no signs of sexual assault, but all her valuables were gone. Her Giorgio Armani bracelet, her blackberry, another gold and diamond bracelet, as well as her handbag, was gone. But the one thing that was left behind in the car, perhaps on accident, was dropped on the back seat, and it was her expensive engagement ring. The diamond glittering in the early morning sunshine. Where Annie was found is interesting. She was found in Lingoletu West, which is a small township just at the end of Kailicha. Presumably, after the car was hijacked by the two men, they drove through the townships towards Kailicha, which is about a 30-minute drive from where the car was hijacked. Lingoletu West is not as crowded as other townships and the roads are broader and less busy, so the car with Annie's body didn't immediately strike many people until closer inspection. In a the post-mortem, they confirmed that Annie's body indeed showed no signs of sexual assault or rape. The only markings on her body showed a struggle between her and her assailants, with big bruising on her thighs. The single gunshot that had killed her was from close range and had gone through her hand before hitting an artery in her neck. She must have died in a couple of heartbeats. In the car, they found very little evidence, but they had one major lead, a full handprint, which led them to Xolile Mgeni and Museum Kwabe. 26-year-old Mgeni was traced down by the police first, his handprint was known to the police and he was arrested and put in custody two days after the murder on the 16th of November 2010. Ngeni grew up in Kailicha and confessed to the hijacking, robbing, and kidnapping of Annie, Shrien and Tongo, but he denied killing Annie. The day after he was arrested, Geni appeared in court and was charged with murder, robbery with aggravating circumstances, and kidnapping. The man who pulled the trigger of the gun that killed Annie is called Nzima Amadoda Kwabe, whose name is very difficult and I apologize. But he was linked to the case by both Mgeni and another township police informant. Kwabe was arrested on the 18th of November. The day after Kwabe was arrested, another man was caught by the police after a tip off by Kwabe. This man was named Monde Molombo, who was a hotel receptionist, who, according to both Kwabe and Geni, arranged the hijacking and robbery. But there are some inconsistencies when it comes to these men's confessions, and they're key to what came to light next. In Geni's first confession, he claimed that Kwabe accidentally shot Annie as he struggled over her handbag. In his first confession, he ran with the theory that this was a robbery a highly organised robbery. Kwabe, on the other hand, denied all involvement in anything to do with hijacking, the kidnapping, the murder and the robbery. But Mgeni, Kwabe and Bolombo were allowed to talk to each other in custody, presumably under police and legal supervision, though we aren't sure what is said during the meeting itself. What we do know is that after the three men met, they changed their stories and all admitted to involvement in kidnapping and murder. Just hours after he first admitted his involvement, Kwabe changed his story again, and Bolombo changed his confession the next day. Bolombo and Kwabe claimed that the mastermind behind this killing was none other than Shrien Devani, which corroborated the story of Zola Tongo. The driver who on the 18th of November, the same day that Kwabe was arrested, had presented himself with legal representation at the police station and had told them the story of how Shri and Dawani had arranged the murder. Zola Tongo claims that he was offered 15,000 rand, which is equivalent to around 790 euros today, to kill the newlywed Annie Hindochat Dawani. We know that Shrien and Tongo did talk to each other because Shrien hired Tongo at the Cape Town International Airport and then hired him again the next day. Shrien claims that the only talks they had that weren't about the taxi drives were to book the romantic helicopter tour. But because they talked to each other in person, we don't know what was actually discussed when they met. Tongo, however, states that when he and Shrien talked, he was immediately asked if he could arrange a killing, though Tongo was not aware that this killing was of the woman sitting next to Shrien in his own cab. Tongo states that he came in contact with the hijackers Mgeni and Kwabe through Mlombo, who he mentioned the offer to in conversation, which may seem as a very strange way of meeting your co conspirators as well as a very small amount of money for killing a person and having to share it between four people. But we have to remember that these men grew up and lived in some of the most violent townships in South Africa, and they probably would have gone through great lengths to improve their own situations and that of their families and loved ones. But one question remains to me with this theory. Why would Shrien want to kill his newly wedded wife? because he is said to have loved her very much, and even though photos never reflect a relationship perfectly, they looked very happy. More importantly, if he would have wanted to kill her, then why do it all the way in South Africa? One motive that has been discussed is their marital problems. According to BBC's Panorama documentary, Annie was really dissatisfied with their relationship. She sent texts to a friend saying that she hated Shriyan and she hated how controlling it was over her. Whilst they were at the Kruger National Park, Annie supposedly texted that she was really trying to make the relationship work but that she just didn't feel happy, despite the fact that he was very nice to her. Her dissatisfaction may have caused his bucket to spill over. The night before the murder, Annie, who was very close to her family, called her parents, who say that Annie didn't sound like herself that night. She sounded like something was off, that something was bugging her, though she never said what it was. Which makes you wonder, did her and Shrien have another fight? Could that have caused it? Another motive that was put forward by police and media is the fact that Shriyan Dawani is bisexual. During his court hearings in South Africa, the prosecution presented the court with Shriyan's gaydar website profile. And Shriyan admitted that he was sexually attracted to both females and males. Now, this alone is not an issue. Shriyan can be bisexual and very happy in his marriage. But Schrien is said to have visited a German fetish master named Leopold Leiser, who told the prosecution that Schrien had mentioned to him that he was very unhappy in his engagement to Annie and that he didn't know how to get out of the marriage without being disowned by his own family. The judge ruled that evidence about Schrien's sexuality could not be used in court, but the motive nonetheless could hold the truth. When would Shrien have been able to organise this then? On CCTV footage, you can see that after the first taxi drive from Cape Town International Airport to Cape Grace Hotel, Annie goes into the hotel alone to check in, with Shrien nowhere to be found. It is during this time that he claims to have organised the helicopter tour for Annie, but Tongo claims that this is when Shrien asked Tongo to organise the killing. Tongo says that he never wanted to be involved with it, but he was willing to call someone in the townships who would be able to help him. Shriyan goes into the hotel to help Annie check in, and then goes to talk to Tongo for another nine minutes whilst Annie is inside of the hotel alone. After dropping Annie and Shriyan at the hotel, Tongo's phone records show that he calls another hotel's front desk, which is where his friend Mondema Bolombo worked. Tongo then shows up on the CCTV footage of that hotel, accompanying Monde outside. At that point they look really cheerful and really happy and really friendly with each other and not at all like two men planning a murder or even just a hostage taking. Through the footage of them together, first walking out of the hotel and then later in the back office looking up phone numbers, they do look a little suspicious. Monday is claimed to be the link between Tongo and the two gunmen that physically hijacked the taxi. During dinner the day before Annie's murder, Shrien left the sushi restaurant and went all the way back to the hotel, just a short walk from the restaurant, where he must have noticed a message from Tongo saying that everything was ready. Tongo and Shrien then called for 5 minutes and 23 seconds. Is that enough time to finalize a killing? I don't know. But the frequency of communication between Tongo and Shriyan is what is used as most damning evidence against Shriyan. Because there is no direct evidence to show that Shriyan is in any way involved with his wife's killing. Shriyan claims that all of these communications were to organize a surprise helicopter tour for Annie. But again, that too, we have no direct evidence for. The second theory is that all along, this was just a robbery that went wrong. What we know is that Zola Tongo called Mumbolombo, who arranged Kwabe and Mgeni to hijack or rob Annie Shrien in Guguletu. The first theory assumes that the idea from the start was to kill Annie, But what if Zola Tongo simply noticed the valuables that both Shrien and Annie carried? And what if Shrien is actually telling the truth about trying to book a helicopter tour? Because let's think this through. Tongo was apparently offered around 790 euros for the killing of Annie, which I presume would have to be shared between the different men who were involved. However, the different things that were found to be stolen when Annie's body was discovered, like her wristwatch, her handbag, Blackberry Mobile, gold and diamond bracelet, as well as Shreen's watch, phone and wallet, are estimated to be around 90,000 Rand, which is about 4,766 euros, which is much more than the 790 euros that Zola Tongo claims to have been offered by Shrien. So this could have simply been an organised robbery that went wrong when Annie tried to fight off Kwabe and Mgeni when he tried to take her handbag, just like Kwabe has claimed since he admitted his involvement in the crime. A third theory, which hooks onto the second theory basically, explores the reason why Shrien was left behind in a township, whilst Annie was kept behind. What was the reason for this? Annie did not appear sexually assaulted or raped, but it could have been the motive behind why Annie was kept by the hijackers and then simply not pushed through. But this could also have been an attempt to, on top of the money from the robbery, gain more money by keeping Annie hostage and demanding ransom money. And again, this plan could have suddenly gone wrong when Annie struggled in a fight. But that doesn't take away from the fact that all men involved, except for Kwabe, said that Shrian was behind it all that it was a setup that was planned by Shriyan. Is there truth in those confessions? Or does Shriyan have nothing to do with it? Were they just collateral damage from the crime statistics in South Africa? Shriyan was arrested in the UK on the 8th of December at the request of the South African government. But whilst he was bound to be extradited to South Africa, His extradition was pushed back because he allegedly dealt with post-traumatic stress disorder and took 46 pills in what appears to have been a suicide attempt. He was finally extradited and arrested in South Africa on the 7th of April of 2014, after Annie's family had been pushing for Shrien to tell the truth and to go to South Africa to face his charges. But during the court hearings, there were so many contradictions in the testimonies of both Tongo Kwabe Mgeni that Shrien's case was dismissed. There were claims that phone calls and messages had been fabricated by Kwabe Mgeni and that both Kwabe Mgeni were not consistent with their testimonies. They couldn't say why they drove Annie to Lingolet West and Zola Tongo's testimony had been so unclear that it was impossible to use it against Shrien. There have also been questions surrounding the practices of the South African police in this investigation concerning both the forensic investigation as well as the way they dealt with the confessions. Mgeni's lawyers say that Mgeni was suffocated with a plastic bag before signing his confession, whilst Molombo has not been prosecuted at all despite admitting his involvement in the crime because he was granted immunity in exchange for truthful witness testimony. Sri is now openly in a relationship with a Brazilian man. And Annie's family has recently come out with a statement that they do not believe that she and Dawani killed his wife, though they do feel as though he should apologize for hiding his bisexuality from them. Annie's case is solved, but there's still a lot of unclarity around it. The truth in this case still doesn't feel like it has been surfaced entirely, and perhaps we will never know. But for now, we are left with a lot of questions and very few answers. I hope you found this case as interesting as I did. And if you did, make sure to subscribe or follow the Girls Like Me podcast on your preferred podcast listening platform to stay up to date with our newest episodes. For more updates, you can also follow this podcast on Twitter at Girls Like Me. See you next time.